2: In with that was how they brought you into News Nation HQ. The helicopter, the card—it was really good. That's how roll,
3: man. Yep. Have a great but show, my friend.
2: <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Uh, look forward to working with you. Thanks. All right, it's only Monday here in the nation's capital, but there's already plenty to talk about. New polling numbers that put President Biden's reelection in a bind. A political scandal in, where else? New Jersey, where one senator remains defiant against a federal indictment and corruption charges and growing calls for his resignation. And Fat Bear Week, well, of course, we'll tell you all about it. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, and thank you for being with us here on The Hill. I am, in fact, Chris Steyerwalt, and we are joined by a superb panel today. My friend, my colleague, Mick Mulvaney, he is the former Trump White House chief of staff. He is also the News Nation political and economic contributor. Yay. Kelly Meyer. My friend and colleague. Uh, she is the Washington correspondent for News Nation. You all know Chris Hahn. He is a News Nation political contributor. He's a former aide to Senator Chuck Schumer, and he is a primo Democratic strategist. And I want you to welcome. I want you to welcome Emily Brooks. She is a congressional reporter for the Hill, and she is going to imbue our conversation with actual facts and information, which, <laughs> for a change, in Washington D.C. Okay. Hollywood screenwriters have reached a tentative agreement with major studios that would end their nearly 150 day strike. Spotlight now turns from Hollywood actors, uh, to U.S. auto workers who are going to get the presidential treatment this week. Tomorrow President Biden will join the United Auto Workers picket line in Michigan and on Wednesday former President Trump will meet with some striking auto workers before giving a primetime speech in Detroit. He plans to deliver that speech at the exact same time that his GOP rivals are scheduled to debate, to debate in California. Okay, Mick, I turn obviously to <laughs> you uh, as the decipherer of all things Trump. Okay. So, yeah, exactly. So I think of this as a pretty smart move for Donald Trump as somebody who is the far ahead front runner for the Republican nomination. He's pivoting to the general election uh, and he is in a battleground state and he is making common cause with blue collar workers in that state. Uh, am I reading that correctly? I think so. There's
4: a there could be a little weakness here, and that the more he doesn't debate in the primary, the more he loses the ability to force Biden to debate if they're both in a general. But I think that's a minor side show, show here. The big the big win here, I think, though, Chris, is that he got Biden to agree to do this. Not 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 agree, but when he announced that he was going to Michigan. Biden then said, I'm going to Michigan as well. So what voters are going to see now are side by side, not on the same stage, right. but in the same setting, on the same topic, talking about the same things. Who do they like better? I think was a big win for Trump.
3: Chris, Hunt, what do you say to that? Look, I think Biden walking the picket line has, is historic. It's big news. Uh, I think Michigan's trending in the Democratic uh, direction the last couple of years. I think Gretchen Whitmer's done a fantastic job building the party there. She's taken every office. Look, Democrats have been losing those white working class union voters in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. We lost them in Iowa, Indiana. So I think it's good that Biden's going there. I think He needs to go there early and often, not just in Michigan, where I think the Democrats are going to hold. But he's got to do that in Wisconsin. He's got to do it in other places where there's large concentrations of white working class voters. Why
4: did he not go to East Palestine, Ohio?
3: I mean, East Palestine, Ohio, it, you know, it's a train disaster. Uh, bringing the president there at, at any given time, I don't need to tell you, I mean, you you ran the White House for a while. Bringing a president to a place like that can only disrupt what's going on there. And I do think he should go there at some point. Okay, Kelly. And uh, provide all the resources in, they need. In more terms more. of this Republican
2: contest that's coming up, so we're going to have this debate, we're going to do this stuff, uh, is, to Mick's point... Is there concern that Trump is complacent with the lead, that he's so far ahead that he's already looking past the primary, he's gone on to the general election? The Republicans that you talk to, Strad, when you're out on the campaign trail, yeah. is does this represent some sort of opportunity for Republicans?
5: I think voters would like to hear from Trump in these debates. Um, I do think it's it's a mix. It could hurt or help him. He's giving the, the stage to other candidates to have the chance if he's there. All of the the room and the energy is going to be sucked up and he's going to take it all up. So he's really giving his other, you know, colleagues or other candidates a favor here. Uh, But I think voters want to hear from him. But at the same time, he is going to meet with these union workers. Uh, He won Michigan in 2016. He didn't get it in 2020. But where he's going to be in Clinton Township, uh, Biden only beat him by some 500 votes. So he's out there really trying to work the voters.
2: Emily Brooks, uh, maybe Republicans don't care. Let's look at some polling uh, uh, on what. Republicans said about the decline in union workers in the United States mm-hmm. is a good thing or a bad thing. Most Republicans said it was a good thing. Uh, is there a little potential for blowback? So traditionally, the Republicans would be the party that would be on the side of management uh, in a work stoppage like this, and they would be against the traditional Democratic allies. Does that represent a wrinkle for if you're a Nikki Haley, if you're a Mike Pence, if you're a traditional Republican in the race, uh, that you could try to to find a little friction there.
1: I think it absolutely does, and it also represents the challenge for Trump, even if, as he is going to Michigan, talking to these union workers, trying to show that he does care and appealing to, like you said, that white working class of vote that Democrats lost, um, then it, it, it is sort of like, well, okay, you're going there, what are the actual policies the Republican Party is going to attend to that the union voters and people who care about that actually think, and also the rest of the base, the rest of the Republican base who is not quite happy Um, with the union line there.
2: Okay, let's turn to some new polling on the potential Biden-Trump rematch for next year. Uh, So if you're a Democrat, uh, first, the very bad news, uh, which is a uh, poll from NBC News that finds Biden tied with Trump at 46 percent. So that's bad if you're a Democrat. You don't want to be have an incumbent president who is tied with his potential challenger. But wait, it could get much, much worse. You can choose your news. The really ugly one, if you're a Democrat, is a new Washington Post ABC News. Poll that finds Biden trailing Trump by almost ten points. Woof. Uh, okay, so Chris, first we should we yeah. should say, we should say we should stipulate. You know, the Washington Post was bummed about this poll <laughs> because they put a line in the story on the poll, like, but this is probably an
3: outlier. I, uh, probably don't listen to and, our poll. And, and it was the same number basically they had about a month ago, so maybe a little worse. Um, Look, I I take these polls seriously. Uh, When a Democrat is tied in a national number, it means they're losing in the Electoral College. However, when I look at at the one good state swing state poll I've seen, which was in New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. Biden was doing much better in New Hampshire right now than he did when he won uh, uh, three years ago. So there's some good news and some bad news. The national number is always going to grab the attention. I think where that number is coming from, and you've probably dug into this a lot deeper than I have, is that there are a lot of people— who are just testing the water right now. They're not happy with Biden. They think he's too old. They want to send the message to the Democratic Party. Maybe it's time to, you know, uh, call, make a call to the bullpen and bring somebody in. But uh, look, it's early for a national poll, but I take it very seriously. Democrats should take it very seriously. President Biden should take it seriously. And he should start hating Donald Trump on the same things he hit him on during the midterm elections. OK, Mick, there's a, uh, there was a
2: hope in your party that. Uh, An electability argument would work against Donald Trump, right? So there, there are some, right? So the the Haley, uh, the DeSantis, and others made the argument. Hey, look, uh, we all think Donald Trump's super, but we don't think he can win a general election. And now Trump can go out with this: says even the lying Washington Post, even the terrible Washington Post, says that I will beat anybody. This this strengthens him considerably in the general yeah. in the primary election it does
4: and I'm not sure the electability argument has ever carried that much water it's always sort of the the, the reason to vote for somebody you don't really want to right. vote for you guys nominated um, John Kerry back in 4 <laughs> I think or something like that we nominated Mitt Romney these are people that nobody's really excited about but we thought they were more, more electable it's sort of a backwards way to it's, it's, nom- so it's so not so it's mean. not false so so by, the, by the way did they
2: did they win I don't know we're still waiting for
3: they, the them both to come <laughs> of them barely <laughs> lost that's right, right. so let's see
2: like defeat like no.
3: Okay, but, but, but They I, came close. I knew, okay, <laughs> new
2: polling is further highlighting some vulnerable points for both President Biden and former President Trump. Uh, that same NBC poll, which is not an outlier, uh, 74% of voters have major or moderate concerns about Biden's age. That's a lot. Uh, they think Trump is much more fit and and vigorous. But unfortunately for Trump, 62% of general election uh, voters are concerned about Trump's criminal trials and the legal charges against him, Uh, Kelly. I have referred to this uh, perspective matchup as the coot versus the crook, uh, where Americans are dialed in on. They're like Joe Biden is seems quite elderly, and Donald Trump seems quite wild. Right, that Mm -hmm. he has done. We we've watched it all in real time. Mm -hmm. We've all lived it as voters continue to express. And if I can, I want to bring back a very uh, worthwhile thing on uh, should Democrats nominate Biden or someone else? If we still have that, uh, you can look at that Joe Biden, 33 percent of Democrats say they're happy with their choice. 62 percent want someone else. Um, this, I, I hate to go here, but we're hearing a lot of discussion about no labels. We're hearing a lot of discussion mm-hmm. about third-party candidates. This is why Brother Han goes, ugh when he thinks about it. There seems like there's enormous appetite for somebody who is neither uh, Joe Biden nor Donald Trump. What yeah. do you say?
5: Um, I put it this way when I was talking with voters. Uh, someone even said that they want a kind of Frankenstein candidate. They want a mix of We've some of the got Republicans. That. <laughs> <laughs> we want got Tim Scott, <laughs> Nikki Haley, mix them all together. But not. no one seems to want a Biden-Trump you know, rematch uh, from voters I'm talking with. Uh, another note, voters I'm talking with don't seem to really care about his criminal uh, challenges. In the primary. In the pri- ahead of, yes. Right, because his opponents
3: right. are not bringing it up. Right. Let, let's be clear. When you are down in the fourth quarter, you throw the ball. These people are not throwing the ball at Donald Trump. They are tiptoeing around well, Chris it. If Christie's. they want to win. Yeah, but Chris Christie's got no chance. Right. But so, Nikki Haley has a chance and she'd be very electable had she, if she won. I, I'm going
2: I'm going I'm going to have to side with Mick on on what I think he was about to say, which is. To win in a Republican nominating contest, you do not start by saying, "You know that guy you like? Well, he's. You thinks, voted for twice. Right? Who you voted for yeah, twice. Yeah. But, but they, if they would but
3: have started two years ago, they wouldn't be in this predicament. Well, right and now. if a frog
2: had wings, it yeah, wouldn't. If sure. if you know <laughs> you what? <don't laughs> Emily, Haley, we're if gonna. Haley. We have to bring Emily into this conversation because of this. You know who else Americans think is too old? The members of our Congress. They think uh, members of our Congress are really too old. How much does the age narrative, right, around Biden and then also around the members of Congress, how much does this put pressure on down-ballot races? How How much is age, do you think, going to be an issue in the upcoming elections, not just for the presidency but all the way across?
1: It will be an issue for President Biden insofar as will it motivate people to actually get out and vote. If people are not excited about the Democratic nominee, that's going to be tough for Democrats to get their voters out to vote. And e- because the the thing that pre- the former President Trump has is that his supporters are very enthusiastic about him no matter what he goes through. So that's the that's the worrisome part for President Biden here.
2: OK, while we're on the topic of the president's age, we ought to talk about Vice President Kamala Harris. Here was what Democratic congressman, the dean of the Congressional Black Caucus, a person of huge influence in the United States Congress, had to say Jim Clyburn on Sunday.
5: Let's turn to Vice President Harris. Do you see her as the future of the Democratic Party?
0: I see her as a part of that future, absolutely. Is I she see her. the
5: future, though? Is she the future of the Democratic Party? Oh, she
0: could very well be, but I also know the history of that as well. Uh, It's not a given. You don't automatically move up. She'll have to compete uh, going forward with whoever may have dreams and aspirations. And I think she will acquit herself well. Okay, Mick,
2: you're his former. You're you're part of the same congressional delegation from South Carolina. You know him well. Uh, Put that into into normal speak there. Read between the lines from what he said about Kamala Harris. But What that means is that they're
4: thinking about getting rid of her because if they're going to get rid of an African-American woman at the top of the ticket, they're going to have to have the blessing of the rest of the African-American caucus, the Congressional Black Caucus, everybody. And there is nobody more senior in that group than than Jim Clyburn. So my guess is that was an opening of the door. It says, okay, look, we're not trying to get rid of her, but she's also not going to be the one. If, so, if they want to make a move, they might be able to do that.
2: Emily, put in context for us what Jim Clyburn represents, what, how, how important... Uh, to winning the South Carolina primaries, to, uh, to the imprimatur of the CBC, all of that. Give us a little context.
1: Absolutely. He is instrumental in South Carolina, a very um, important primary state. And I will just say, like adding on to his comments there, when I talk privately with some Democrats, when they're talking about the future of the party, the names that they're throwing out there is not necessarily Kamala Harris. It's people like Gretchen Whitmer. It's people like Gavin Newsom. And so that is um, an indication of maybe what they're thinking about her as well.
0: Chris
2: Hahn. Yeah. You know, uh, that Gavin Newsom, speaking of Gavin Newsom, he is around. He is around and about and he is heading down to Southern California to Simi Valley so that he can bracket the Republican debate down there as governor of California. Yeah. Uh what's the deal how should we interpret how, should, how are democrats looking at this sub veep stakes future of the party battle and
3: parsing out this well let's also point out that it could just be 4 years from now people are jockeying the yeah, yeah, yeah. position right and that's part of what Representative Clyburn was talking about. But yeah, I think Gavin Newsom is a name we're going to hear about. I have been pushing Gretchen Whitmer because I think of what she's done in Michigan where you know, many Democrats were writing it off and she brought it back from the dead. I think that's something that can't be ignored. She speaks to the people Democrats have been losing and holds on to the new Democratic coalition, which is a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gavin Newsom is a, a fantastic, phenomenal public servant who's been out there working hard. He is a great communicator. I can't wait to watch him debate. DeSantis. I don't know why. I guess DeSantis decided he needs to throw a long ball here. Uh, so, Who in the party is pushing Kamala Harris? Who is pushing her? I, I mean, she's the vice president of the United States, right?
4: David so. Ignatius's piece, though, when it came out in The Washington Post, which was a big deal, said, I think
3: Biden should step aside and I think Kamala Harris should step aside. Isn't that a big deal I, in your party? I think it is a big deal. Uh, but I don't think that Kamala, Kamala Harris is stepping aside if Joe Biden does not step aside. Now, should Joe Biden step aside, there will be a real competition in the Democratic Party. I don't think she's got an inside track. And I think that's what uh, Representative Clyburn was saying. I think that there are a lot of people who want to fight for that spot. Also, I also want to point this out. And you will agree with me this. He nobody, better. <laughs> nobody votes for vice president of Correct. the United States. Well, this may be the one time. This may be concept. the one time. That's that's right. the yeah, I mean, they said that about Trump and Pence. I don't. You know what, was, I don't. We're polling no. data that
4: said that seventy-five percent of people didn't expect Biden to finish the term. If you really believe it that, is a, again, I agree with you. No. Most ninety-nine times out of hundred, nobody cares. I
3: think that's look. Uh, I think it's a big number.
2: That seventy-five percent number is a big number. We care about you, and we also care uh, about hitting this team. <laughs> Uh, because coming up, the race for second place, question mark, with Trump skipping this week's GOP debate, who has the most to gain and the most to lose? We'll discuss all that with Mark Short. He's the former chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence. We'll be back. News
0: Nation.
2: Welcome back. While former President Trump is in the Motor City on Wednesday, presidential hopefuls will spar at the second primary debate. In California at the Reagan Library. Uh, the former president continues to have a commanding 43 point average lead in the race, according to the Real Clear Politics Average of Polls, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis trailing well behind in an increasingly distant second. Meanwhile, in New Hampshire, where the first primary will be held, DeSantis has crashed to fifth, Woof, according to a recent poll. Joining us now is Mark Short. He's a former chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence and is uh, rooting along and helping the former vice president as he seeks the Republican nomination. Mark Short, thank you for being with us.
6: Chris, thanks for having me.
2: Okay. What does Mike Pence want to, what does he need to do uh, as they gather at the Reagan Library? What's he thinking?
6: I think, Chris, it's a perfect setting for him to continue to draw a contrast between Uh, traditional conservatives versus, I think, a more populist strain that uh, seems to have taken hold inside our party. And having this debate at the Reagan Library is a perfect venue to have that discussion about where we're going to go in the future. I think that uh, he'll continue to showcase that whether or not you're talking about fiscal policy, foreign policy, social policy, he has the experience and the character to take that job on day one. And I think that's a separation from other candidates on the stage. In last month's debate, we saw a feistier version
2: of the former vice president. Uh, he was spicy. Uh, he mixed it up with Vivek Ramaswamy uh, and, and seemed to, to be less of the uh, 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 somber tone that he had sometimes taken as vice president. Do you expect more of that? Do you, do you think that he needs to continue to mix it up? What's, what's the tone that you hope he takes when he gets on stage?
6: Well, I I don't usually use the adjective somber with Mike Pence. I think that uh, (laughs) uh, I think he's had I think really good debates against Tim Kaine, against Kamala Harris, and probably is underrated as a debater. But I think that in that particular case, I think Vivek was the foil, and I think that uh, that that basically showcased Vivek as a fraud. I mean. Just last week, I think he came out with the acknowledgement that he'd have to self-deport himself based upon his own family history and what his policy is now for Anchor babies. So I think that if that's the case again, then I think Mike will, will use that foil. But I don't think it's going intentional looking to, to focus on Vivek. I think he'll be instead looking to focus on the future of our movement and the future of our country and where we as conservatives should be going.
2: Uh, Your former colleague Mick Mulvaney was doing some quick math here on set, Mark, looking at uh, putting together the numbers of what it would take to put Donald Trump in peril for the nomination. Uh, Mick, do you think that uh, Mike Pence could be the guy uh, who could co- bring that coalition together?
4: Uh, I think everything that Mark just said about Mike is, is true. Mike is one of the most impressive, just the most decent human beings you are going to meet in this business. I continue to say, and I've said this to Mark privately, I'll say it now, I think we're trying to reference Ronald Reagan is a losing argument. I'm the oldest person here, and I didn't vote for Ronald Reagan because I wasn't old enough. I think that the party has moved beyond him, and it's just... Keeping, continuing to invoke Ronald Reagan as a losing argument. I just, you're seeing it in the numbers. Mike should be doing better than he is in the polling.
2: Mark, are you guilty of zombie Reaganism? Yeah.
6: You know, Mick is very old, but the reality is that <laughs> it's less about Reagan. It's more about, it's more about conservatism and uh, whether or not we're a party that hails to the traditional conservative roots of our party that has always solved the problems that we face as a nation. Or whether instead we're going to be a party that says, you know what, we're going to embrace a 10% tariff on all imports coming to the country. That was a position of the populist left for decades, and that seems to be the policy now of Donald Trump. Whether or not we're going to be the party that walks away from international commitments. Whether or not we're the party that decides to turn its back on our spending problems facing our country. And the fact that, you know, we're having a lot of discussion about a government shutdown right now, I mean, Chris, we have $33 trillion in debt. That's $100,000 for every person in this country. And yet not any candidate other than Mike Pence is talking about entitlement reform. Instead, we're talking about a shutdown over discretionary spending. And the delta between Democrats and Republicans is a third of 1% of our total overall debt. And we're forcing a shutdown over it. We're not having an honest conversation with the American people. I think that's what's important is that Mike wants to do on the debate stage and showcase that. look, I want to address the real problems they're facing the Americans or whether or not we're going to be a party that, that moves to the left and embraces the policies the Democrat left and Bernie Sanders were adopting just in the last election cycle.
2: Mark, I think they could use you over at the Speaker's office uh, yeah, on your yeah. way, on your way off the hill. <laughs> I, th- I think th- those are talking points that I hear that, that, could co- that could come in <laughs> handy over there. Uh, Mark Short, thank you so much for making time for us today. We really appreciate it. Okay. here's a programming note, a programming note for Wednesday. Look, think ahead. This is a super deep tease. You can tune in for a special edition of The Hill, this very show on News Nation, where I sit down with Iowa caucus goers to talk about the issues, what they're looking for for a presidential candidate in 2024. You can watch it right here Wednesday at (laughs) 5 p.m. Eastern here on News Nation. Okay. Enough about myself. More about myself. Coming up, <laughs> Senator Bob Menendez fights back, kind of. The New Jersey Democrat faces bribery and corruption charges. Today he addressed those charges, saying why he's innocent. We'll talk about that next.
7: The allegations leveled against me are just that. Allegations. The prosecutors get it wrong
2: sometimes.
7: This will be the biggest fight Uh, But as I have stated throughout this whole process, I firmly believe that when all the facts are presented,
2: not only will I be exonerated, but I still will be New Jersey's senior senator. That was Democratic New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez today, uh, standing defiantly in his first public remarks since his federal indictment on Friday. Menendez is denying any wrongdoing after prosecutors charged him and his wife with bribery and conspiracy. Despite growing calls for his resignation, the senior senator says he is focused on his work in both New Jersey and Washington, and that he'll seek reelection in 2024. Kelly, you uh, were, but you were just but a glimmer of a thought of a reporter in someone's eye. In 2002, there was a guy named Robert Torricelli, who is a (laughs) senator from New Jersey. And I remember when he gave a speech just almost exactly like that as he was facing criminal charges ahead of an election cycle in New Jersey. And you know what happened to Bob the Torch Torricelli? He resigned. It seems like, as I hear... Uh, Sherrod Brown join, and Sherrod Brown has a lot more to lose here than most of uh, Menendez's colleagues because he's in a tough re-election race in Ohio. Read the writing on the wall here. Is there some way that Menendez, in the second round of federal criminal charges that he's facing, goes the distance?
5: I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of surprising that he is saying he's going for re-election here. He's saying that he's going to stay uh, in office. Um, it's just, you know, this catch, because we're looking at it on the Republican side with Trump and what Democrats are saying about Republicans. Then Republicans are going to say this about Democrats. And you only see, I saw AOC was one that said he should step down, he should resign. So then you're seeing this split the Democratic Party. But if you're going to say something about the Republicans, then you're going to have to say it about your own party too. And everybody's just going to have to look in the mirror. Emily-
2: Uh, We talked here last week about uh, what I'll call the Al Franken effect. Uh, Al Franken had to go for Democrats uh, because they were trying to make a big deal out of Roy Moore, who was the Republican nominee for Senate that year uh, in Alabama. So Al Franken, when he was uh, when there were accusations of improper conduct against him, against him, Democrats said, you got to go so we can make the case against Roy Moore. Isn't there some of this for Menendez as Democrats want to make the case against Donald Trump as being corrupt? They've got to show that they're willing to clean house on their, their own side, right?
1: Absolutely. That is a big pressure point for Democrats. And I think that's why you're seeing people like in those tougher races, like you mentioned, Senator Brown coming out and saying that he thinks that, you know, this is not something that he shouldn't stay in office but it, it, it you know it, it does put leaders in a tough spot you never want to um, call on somebody from your own party to step down we're seeing the same thing happen in the house with uh, congressman George Santos in New York who is uh, maybe just as infamous if not more so than uh, Senator Menendez at this point but uh, but definitely uh, former president Trump is a big factor in how both parties are handling this of course Republicans um, what this will do to their weapons of the government argument, yeah, yeah. that's going to be interesting to see.
2: Okay, Chris, uh, John Fetterman, who is getting really good at being splashy, says he's <laughs> going to give back. He's going to give back the Menendez donation in cash-filled envelopes. <laughs> um, What's, what's the clock here, and what are the pressure points that Democrats have against Menendez to prime out of office? Because from from Menendez's standpoint, as soon if he were to give up his office, that's one less bargaining chip that he has with prosecutors. Yeah. That's one less
3: thing that he has to offer. How do Democrats—what do they do? I think you hit the nail on the head. The pressure point is not on the Democrats. It's on Menendez. There is a primary coming up, and it's in the spring. It is not in November— He is not he doesn't have a four year runway like he did the last time he was indicted. He has to make his deal with the U.S. Justice Department if he's going to make one prior to that primary, because I find it hard to believe with the forces lining up against him in New Jersey. uh, I don't I find it hard to believe he's going to survive a primary. There are a lot of good Democrats that are just chomping at the bit to go after him. And now they have all the ammunition in the world. Now, look, he's a fighter. Uh, he's an excellent campaigner, and he's done a lot of favors for a lot of people in that state. But uh, I think that he better make a deal before the primary because he's not going to have much to deal with after that. Mick, last word.
4: Uh, I was surprised to hear him play the race card. Uh, they, they, they cut that out of the clip, but at the end of his press conference, he said, it doesn't surprise me that people are quick to convict the Latino. I had no idea that that was going to be an issue here, but that strikes me as something you say when you're grasping at straws.
2: Yes, that is not not, not the hallmark of somebody who's feeling super confident. Okay, meantime, in fewer than six days, that's all the time left Congress has to avert a shutdown, and all the time remaining for Speaker Kevin McCarthy to rally House Republicans around a plan to fund the government. Uh Uh-oh, former President Trump is stepping into the fray of that debate among GOP lawmakers, posting on Truth Social... The Republicans lost big on debt ceiling, got nothing, and now are worried that they will be blamed for the budget shutdown. Wrong! Three exclamation points. Whoever is president will be blamed, added, unless you get everything, shut it down. Kelly, Mm -hmm. here's a weird thing. So there are... There's a small clack of Republicans in the House who want the shutdown because it will be bad for Kevin McCarthy and because Republicans will get blamed for this. This is this is uh, this is what they want. It's it's a uh, it's not a bug. It's a feature. So how does President Trump weighing in, do you think, affect the thinking there? Does it? I assume it emboldens these folks and and makes them more willing to go along with this.
5: Definitely emboldens them, I would think, because if he's saying it's all going to come back to President Biden, we were over at the White House today, they brought out the Agriculture Secretary, and he was talking about the impact this could have calling on Republicans to do their job and get this passed. Uh, But like you said, there are Republicans up there that hold the power more than House Speaker Kevin McCarthy holds the power. And we saw this when he had his speaker vote go through. We saw the road ahead. It was going to be difficult, and this is where we're seeing it, uh, where it's hitting the road right here.
2: Okay, Emily, uh, the always uh, understated and demure Chip Roy, congressman <laughs> from Texas, uh, had this to say about those republicans opposing a temporary funding measure uh he said i honestly don't know what to say to my fellow republicans other than you're going to eat a bleep sandwich and you probably deserve to eat it now shiitake mushrooms yes uh, he was talking about Uh, shiitake mushrooms i think that's right (laughs) Uh, pleasant sandwich but but, (laughs) emily What is Who's he really talking to? Uh, Decode this for us. Use your expertise.
1: Yeah, well, this is an interesting situation because Chip Roy, if you remember, was one of the people opposing Kevin McCarthy at the start of this year for speaker. Chip Roy and some other House Republicans came up with a plan to try and... Uh, pass a short-term funding bill for like would, a month. For like a month that would pair it with border security and also some across the board cuts. But a lot of people who are normally Chip Roy's allies in the House are saying no. We have to only go and pass appropriations bills. There's people saying no continuing resolution, short-term stopgap to fund the government at all. And so he's frustrated that his plan isn't working and those are the people so Ch- he's talking. So Chip about.
2: Roy's basically saying if we can't pass something because what's Worked for House Republicans to this point is pass something, right? Uh, in the sh- in the showdowns with the democratically controlled Senate and with the democratically held White House, Kevin McCarthy and a House Republicans' ability to pass something uh, in defiance of expectations has given them all this leverage. Now, Mick, it looks like they're going to get jammed by the Senate. Is yeah. that about right? Yeah, keep in mind, most of the people that so they're opposing
4: this have not been in Washington very long. Okay, they don't know how this plays out. Chip sees it. He knows exactly what's yeah. going to happen. Which is, if the House can't pass anything. The Senate will pass something. In fact, they talked about doing that as of
2: today with the FAA bill. They right, they're starting to mark, they're starting to move along exactly. this authorization legislation.
4: They'll pass something that the Democrats like, get enough Republican votes to get the 60 votes in the Senate, and come to the House and. Maybe there's a discharge petition. Maybe it votes—it it passes without any sort of uh, Republican support or just minor Republican support. And then they're stuck with it. I think Chip sees
2: how the town works because he's yep. been here long enough. And the new people who are uh, fighting him don't. And, Chris, Democrats are just loving it, right? The Democrat, Democrats are just a, a, as this slow-motion train wreck.
3: Yeah. What do they say about, you know, giving your opponent enough rope to hang themselves, right? They're, they're doing that to themselves. And the people that are here that are new— they're not just new. They don't care. They're not right. here to govern. They're here to get clicks. They're here to be on Fox. They're here to be on whatever. They want my job. They don't right. want the job they have. And that's you know right. what? A they should come of here. Funders. I'll swap. I don't right. care. <laughs> uh, for a couple of weeks anyway, maybe a couple of days. Uh, get the budget passed, and I'll come back. But it is, it's a, it's, it's, it's that budget. <laughs> 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 that is the, that is the, that is the problem with Washington right now. We've got people who are going to drive us off a cliff. And there are 19 Republicans who are in district that Biden won that are panicking right now, and they will sign a discharge petition and work with Democrats to, to pass a spending measure. Sorry. And it's probably good for them politically. Yeah, it, it would actually be great for them politically. It might help them, uh, hold some of them. At okay, down the, down the road very quickly. Uh, shutdown certain?
1: I wouldn't say certain, but I am canceling my plans for Saturday. Okay.
2: Uh, shutdown certain? No, definitely not. Oh, not certain. No. Okay, Kelly, shutdown certain?
5: I think it'll happen. They'll figure it out Saturday.
2: You think that, you say no shutdown?
5: No, no shutdown. They'll get it before. It's not. Circle.
2: Listen to all of this beaming
5: optimism. <laughs> what do you say?
4: Remember the old ads for Ivory Soap when we were kids? You know, 99.44, that's yep. where
2: I am on our show. That's where he is, 99.44. You heard it. Uh, the fearless forecast from Mick Mulvaney. Okay, coming up, the war on cartels. Some Republicans want to use military force in Mexico, but could that plan ultimately cause more problems than it solves? We'll talk with the former Homeland Security Secretary about that when we come back. American electorate. A new poll shows that only 23 percent approve of his handling of the situation at the southern border, while 62 percent disapprove. This comes as American President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador is saying he wants to meet with Biden in Washington in early November. The Mexican president is hoping to speak with Biden about immigration, drug trafficking, and other issues. Joining us now is Chad Wolf. He is the former acting Homeland Security Secretary under President Donald Trump, and he is also the executive director of the America First Policy Institute. Mr. Secretary, thanks for being with us. Um, I know that you uh, fundamentally disagree with the way that uh, the Biden administration has handled this, but no matter who's president, this is a very difficult situation, right? You, you must have some sympathy, at least, for how the uh, team Biden, uh, what the problem they're facing here, right? Right.
7: Well, I do and I don't. Uh, absolutely. It's a difficult situation under the best circumstances to secure that border uh, and do all the things that you need to do. Uh, but, look, they, they made the decisions that they've made over the last two and a half years. They canceled very effective programs and they haven't really put anything in place. So the results are their results. They need to own them. They need to be honest with the American people about what's going on at that border. And they need to be honest that they, they with themselves. They can change it if they chose to. Given the authorities that they have, they can change this in a matter of weeks. Uh, they just they won't take the decisions uh, that are needed to do that. What what are those decisions?
2: What what would you do?
7: Uh, we've got a long list here. Um, I mean, look, first of all, you've got to empower the Border Patrol to do their job. you got to get them out of the facilities. you got to stop processing the migrants and you got to start. Uh, putting them back on the line for them to do their national security mission. I would restart uh, certain sections of the border wall system. I would restart Remain in Mexico. I would restart our asylum uh, agreements with three countries in Central America. I would let ICE officers do their job, to start to remove individuals particularly those with final orders of removal here in the United States, all of this sends a signal that it's not okay to break our laws. And you're going to see some of those numbers start to drop. Unfortunately, what we have with the Biden administration is the complete opposite, which is that catch and release program, which is why more and more individuals are coming. It's not because they're hearing about different things. They're coming for one simple reason, which is if they get in the United States, they're released into American communities and they call their friends and families back home. And they say, look, It was pretty easy. Once I got here, it was pretty easy. They
2: they released me in a matter of days. I want to ask you, Republicans have been taking some really tough rhetorical stances about what they would do. The Republican candidates for president and throughout the party about— deploying special forces, doing, deploying military assets uh, in Mexico and against Mexico. There's a lot of concern, though, that this could make the problem worse uh, instead of better, that it could fragment the cartels, that it could create a diplomatic crisis with Mexico. Do you have any concern about the rhetoric ratcheting up on the Republican side about the use of military force across the border or against Mexico?
7: Look, I, I think some of the rhetoric that we see is, is the frustration that not only the candidates have, but the American people have about what's going on on that border. Either you're going to simply look at what's going on and say, hey, that's just kind of how it is. Or you're going to say, I- I'm tired of admiring the problem that we've had now for decades, and I'm going to do something about it. And doing something about it means maybe you've got to go outside of the status quo. So maybe you've got to throw some things on the table that are a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. Uh, but you got to start talking about these things, and you got to start leveling with the governor of Mexico, the president of Mexico, uh, and say, look, we're not happy with what's going on. We're not happy that you allow 2,000 individuals to come across that border from Mexico into the United States. If you don't think the Mexican government knows and the Mexican military knows that 2,000 people were amassed on their side of the border, you're living in la-la land. Of course they know this, uh, but they're 12. not taking the necessary steps. To deter that. And so I think you've got to put some things on the table
2: that the Mexican government doesn't like. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Okay. Okay. Chris Hahn. Yes, sir. Here's the thing. What Republicans don't think about is that Joe Biden is seen by many in the Democratic Party as being too hard on immigration and too, too restrictive. We think back to Barack Obama, deporter in chief. We think about the, the, the deal with Biden at the beginning when the Border Patrol agents had their yeah. reins out and they said they're whipping these people. Talk about why Biden is not leaning into what's a really obvious win for him politically, which is to say, I'm taking the hardest line possible. Is this because of pressure within his own party?
3: Oh, there's definitely going to be, it's a tightrope that he has to walk, right? There are people within the party, suburban Democrats, for example, who want to see a tougher line at the border. Even some city Democrats now are coming along on this side. Uh, And then you have people who want to see open borders within the party. I think Biden should say, let's pass, let's revisit the 2013 Border Security and Immigration Modernization Act that passed the United States Senate with a bipartisan vote, never was taken up by John Boehner in the House, let's revisit that bill, let's b- boost the funding that was in that bill, and make it more modern so that we have a real process to deal with this. There's a supply and demand issue right now. There are jobs in the United States attracting people here. We can't have them here working because there's no process. That was Usher, in that bill. Ushers back at the Super Bowl. Why not bring the, the throwbacks from uh, the <laughs> it teams, was a good Tens and teens
2: Okay. <laughs> Meantime, the search is on for the husband of a Bronx daycare owner. This after a one-year-old boy died of a suspected fentanyl overdose. And a cache of drugs were found underneath the floor of the daycare's play area. Joining me now is Elizabeth Vargas, who will be digging into this story during her show in the next hour. And Elizabeth you you're you bring us a story that just couldn't be more heartbreaking you couldn't think of a just a more tragic story what can we expect to hear tonight
0: well first of all it's a tragic story chris but it's not a unique one this is happening all over the country uh fentanyl, opioid overdoses at the leading cause of poison deaths for kids in this country. We had 1,500 children die of these kinds of opioid overdoses in 2021, and hundreds of them were under the age of four. Well, tonight, there's a huge manhunt on for the, the ringleader of this drug lab that was in the daycare center. Police fear he may have gone back to the Dominican Republic. They're not sure, but under scrutiny tonight, Chris, is a 2019 Bail Reform Act that the state of New York passed, which allows people who are low-level drug offenders to be out of prison, out of jail, within hours of being arrested. Police say that this is what is fueling the drug epidemic in this uh, city uh, and across the country, that these drug dealers are out too quickly, the penalties are not harsh enough. So all of this starting to, to, to bring back the sort of war on drugs talk, you know, we, we had this in, in years past when people were really cracking down. Police agencies were really cracking down on drug offenses. Everybody sort of backed off of that for a variety of reasons. And now they're coming back to thinking we, we need to do more because we've got to get this off the streets.
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. You can watch Elizabeth Vargas Reports tonight and every night where Elizabeth tells hard stories. She tells them with heart. She tells them with humanity. Uh, It's important that we have somebody that can have a grown-up conversation. Uh, So please, uh, right after the Hill, stick around and watch my friend and colleague Elizabeth. We will be right back with one of nature's most intense competitions. Stay with us.
0: Tomorrow on Nation been
2: months since east palestine and it's not over we're reaching out to everybody in the chain of accountability
3: we're not going to let it go away
0: clomo live from east palestine tomorrow on news nation
2: welcome back it's the survival of the fattest fat bears are going head to head but only one can prevail. The National Park Service is hosting Fat Bear Week starting next Wednesday. It's a March Madness style bracket. Wow. People can vote on their favorite fat bear That's before fat they hibernate for the winter. And by the way, the bears are hibernating, not the people. Uh, the winner gets bragging rights and six months of restful solitude. Yeah. Now I have to say <laughs> as, as, a chunk, as, as a chunk positive person yeah. myself, <laughs> I am really glad, Mick, to see people out here embracing the fatness of these bears. I'm also glad to see the federal government doing something that people find that they like that's popular
4: i have no idea what to say about this i'm going to try this <laughs> do you know this about bears what's that they only eat the eyeballs and the heads wow that is the okay. fattest the okay. fattest part okay. of the
2: fish that so is, is <laughs> when you go to